Thursday, November 18th, we're back in our respective locations, Syracuse, Nashville, and I woke up this morning and realized the Constitution is for sale. Everywhere I go, the people really want to know who I is and who I be. They stop and stare when they see me. Paul, I'm just glad to be back in this in my chair because it bounces. More. I know you got the bounce was weird in those <laughs> hotel chairs. I gotta say, I gotta agree with you. Like they just they just didn't have the swagger that we're used to. <laughs> How was your trip home? Good. Oh, easy trip. Yeah, the 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 plane flights were great. I got to got to spend some time with family yesterday, and uh, so that that was wonderful. Um, I'm I'm gearing up for for those that don't know. I'm I'm. Uh, I'm running a marathon this weekend, yeah, so I'm is. trying to figure out what my sleep pattern and and uh, what my <laughs> what my last couple miles on my feet are, and so it's uh coming off of uh, coming off of a trip to Florida. It's going to be an interesting uh, rest of the week, but it, yeah. I'm I'm excited. It's good. Yes. How, yes. Your, how were your travels? Travels were good. You know, we were rolling heavy all all the whole daily family. So there's six of us making our way through the airport, and little guy did super good. He slept on the longer flight, so good timing. Oh. Perfect. We're happy. We're happy. We're good. This morning, uh, I don't know if you heard, we'll, we'll come back to this tomorrow, but there is a crypto, it's called a DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, where um, every a bunch of crypto enthusiasts are getting together, getting their funds together to bid on a copy of the Constitution at Sotheby's tonight at 6.30. That's, it's a crazy thing, but for real, look it up real quick. Look it up. Say Constitution, D-A-O. And you'll see all about it. We'll come back to it tomorrow to see. We'll recap it once, yeah, we'll once recap everything it. goes down. Yeah, we will. But we'll just put that out there. But uh, I've got some other interesting news this morning when it comes to uh, stocks of the publicly traded auto groups, Kyle. Dang. Yeah, wow. So uh, so our good buddy Ryan Everson uh, shared with me a link. And, and so shout out to Auto Genius Ryan, Ryan Everson for sharing this idea uh, or this, this market report from MarketWatch that um, essentially says because of the projection of Morgan Stanley, and, and, and we'll get into the projection in just a second, all of the publicly traded auto groups yesterday took a steep dive even after closing high on Tuesday. So just the, the volatility of the market, especially in auto, driven by a single mover in the market saying, uh, we're a little bit concerned about the 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 ability of franchise auto retail to succeed, and and the real key on that was not because of inventory, it wasn't because of chip shortages, it wasn't because of EV even, it was because of consumer experience. Dang, How, what an interesting thing from a financial perspective from a from Morgan Stanley, who's totally financial, that would typically look at things like dollars and cents, T's and uh, you know dotting I's, crossing T's, you know, supply and demand. And they said, no, 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 it's not any of those things. It's actually the inability of franchise retail and the OEMs to come together to create a positive consumer experience. Ah, uh, you mean it's not just a frou frou feel good thing it's actually got massive seismic financial implications no you way. mean the art kit 
have an impact even the art kids <laughs> even the art kids uh if if you're new to this story um you know we, we talk about kind of siphoning from gary vaynerchuk's vernacular of math kids and art kids and marketing and the math kids are the ones that you know watch the data the art kids are one are the ones that watch the the humanity in the the substance of the content you know the the feel goods and uh you put those two together and you get you know you get really great marketing and branding. So um, if you're new, we're trying to make this podcast really accessible to all layers of the dealership. So if you're, if, you know, sometimes we're going to try to slow down for a second to just make sure everyone's on the same page. So when we're talking about the public auto groups, we're talking about the auto groups that are publicly traded on the stock exchange that have a large holding of dealerships all across the country. So think Penske, Sonic, Auto Nation, Group One, and um, did I miss any of the big ones? Oh, I'm going to Athea. Lithia, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Lithia for sure. So, and and they trade on the stock exchange. These companies have gone public. So, um, from a Morgan Stan like Morgan Stanley analysts, major markets, they are the leading indicator that people tend to look at and talk about. And yesterday, a Morgan Stanley Stanley analyst said, you know what, they're going to have trouble keeping up. And then you know probably 10 percent of the on average of the market cap just went away. So. Consumer sentiment, if you think about it, I said to Kyle, you know, if you take step out of the industry for a second, right, you know, Kyle and I, um, Automotive State of the Union, incredible advocates of the retail auto industry, the franchise model, believing that is the best way that consumers can be delivered a car and serviced and cared about and have their community supported, right? That's the very best way we believe that with all our hearts. If you're not us and you step out, you take an objective look at it, you can easily see that with everyone obsessed about consumer experience, that like, oh, it's really hard for Ford or GM or Honda to manage the expectations of the consumer all the way through the process because, let's let's be honest, you do get a very different experience between dealerships. Yeah, right? we, you know, we look at like, especially me coming from the, from the retail environment, you know, there's a lot of conversation about kind of what some of these even OEM programs are meant to do. Right. It's not. It, it, yes. Are they is there a de desire to kind of streamline, you know, create brand efficiency and, and even more, you know, have have a data, uh, have a data layer that that actually like is feeding back and forth? Yes. But there's a lot of it in the conversation is it's not these programs are not meant for the top 10 percent of dealers. The, the the OEMs know that those that those can survive without regulations and mandates. It's really this issue that the bottom twenty five percent that drawing them up is the is the like gap in consumer experience and maybe even like more like the bottom seventy five percent. Yeah, I, I was gonna right? I was gonna say likely. Yeah, more like the bottom seventy five percent. So when we look at the OEMs going, oh my goodness, our brand is resting on the laurels of the bottom 75% of consumer experience for our brand, that's a scary proposition for an OEM. Right. right? So, and that's what Morgan Stanley is pointing to. Yeah. And if you're an OEM, you're like, well, we need to fix that. Right. And we see all the opportunity. Right. When things are in transition, there's a lot of opportunity. So EVs, opportunity for the OEM to take more control. Mm. Right. Because it's, it's not as, you know, it's easy to pit two sides against each other in like good and evil. But business is a contact sport, right? Everyone's role in business is to keep playing, right? Dave Meltzer, 
the first rule of business is stay, stay in, business. in business, right? <laughs> so everyone's trying to abide by the first rule of business and it's moves and counter moves, right? It can feel personal, but it's not personal. I mean, it's personal. It is personal, actually. If you really yeah. care about what you do, it is personal. We talked earlier this week about you know trying to think of the humanity in both sides. If you're an OEM and you're listening, realize that the dealers are, are a bunch of good humans, right? That want the best for their family, their community. And if you're a dealer, look at the OEMs and saying like, hey, you're manufacturer rep, the inventory guy, right? The brand, the marketers, the the co-op people, right? There are other humans trying to abide by the first rule of business. Yes. Right? So it's going to be this constant dance to figure out how we can work together and win, right? Or keep winning or keep staying in business. And I believe that, you know, it is the the mandate, like it's our flag in the ground that franchise auto dealers need to do everything they can to show OEMs that they are savvy retailers, that they deliver an amazing customer experience, and that they are the very, very best means to deliver the best customer experience. Because once, if they can do that, then it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's you fine. Know, we we keep having these conversations with uh, with uh, marketing teams or marketers. Yep. And and we say things like, "You need to market yourself to your owner to your." company, all that type of stuff. It's like, there's some level of like, you're not, you know, the, the marketer is not just taking whatever is, is in the store and telling the story externally. Yep. Right. It's also telling the story internally backwards, Absolutely. the brand story internally to employees. But then there's an element that that marketing team actually has to sell themselves, sell, sell their value and, and what they do to the ownership. All day. Right. Now we're taking it a step further and saying, Oh, wait, the marketers, whether that be the dealer principal or the owner, is actually selling that you know their philosophy up to the OEM. Absolutely, right? I mean, think about the role of the franchise dealer in in shifting the perception. We we keep saying this, shifting the culture and perception of auto, franchise automotive retail, but it's so much more broad than just like your clients. Uh, it's. It can't start there. It has to start with yourself. Yes. And and so if you're listening, know that you have a role in that. Obviously, if you're a dealer principal, you have a role, a general manager, right? If you're a high-level leader, you know you have a role, right? But if you're not that high-level leader, understand that you have a role. And hopefully this will spur you to realize that that big, big problem that we just laid out, that big challenge that laid out includes you to be part of the solution, yeah, so so I, I call them advocates, right? And and uh, when I was at Nelson, I would always encourage every single employee to be an advocate where they're at, right? And so it doesn't matter if you're a dealer principal or a salesperson or the newest hire at a dealership. Your role as an advocate for the sustainability of your company or your brand in your community with the people that you you know that you come across is so vital to the success of all of this, right? Because people vote with their perception all day, right? And whether the vote is political or financial or, you know, whether putting, where they're putting views, right? Yeah. Whatever. I mean, yesterday people voted with their perceptions on these major. Absolutely. Publics. There was, there was an inciting event where this analyst, you know, weighed in Adam, you know Adam okay. Jones okay. is his name. 
Voting machine, weighing machine. Watch this, right? Yeah. We just came off third quarter uh, uh, investor calls, right? Yeah. Where all of these publics posted record quarters, which means there was a weighing machine aspect over the last few days Me to their portfolio. Yeah. Meaning that right? people were buying stock and it was going up based on the performance, the performance. revenue generated. Right. But then all of a sudden, a future outlook from an individual turned their portfolio, their stock portfolio, into a voting machine, meaning people were, were voting with where they were putting their money on based on their future perception of the ability for the stock to perform. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, yesterday at um, the AAAS event in Palm Beach, Brian Pash's event, uh, shout out to Brian Passion, the whole PCG team who did an amazing yeah, job pulling amazing off amazing job. A very, very difficult uh, to pull off event. They did it. Um, everyone went home full of knowledge and inspiration. So uh, that was great. And so at lunchtime, though, uh, Kyle and I were sitting and having a conversation with Alex Vetter, CEO of Cars.com, and we were talking about who do we watch for the indicators? Like who does the auto industry watch? for indicators of where things might be going. And the punchline of that conversation was like, everyone else watches auto as the indicator, which, oh, which yeah. means, which makes it really, really hard. Right. Which means we're the, the crash test dummies, right? Yeah. Like I was we're going to hit like, the wall and then they're going to be like, Oh, what happened to them? <laughs> I said to Alex, I said, you know, what I know is that all of the people in real estate that I know, they, they look at what real estate will follow three to four months behind whatever auto does. Yep. So they are constantly asking me, how's traffic in the store? Yep. How's things feeling? Uh, how are things feeling in the automotive industry? You know, and so who do we look at? I know. Well, I mean, you, you look at some of the other news coming out from some manufacturers and, um, you know, just looking at what's happening with supply and chips and what, what, uh, who was it that said by November 1st? They are not going to have any idle plants. I think it was GM. They won't have a single idle plant yeah. due to the chip shortage. Um, I think it was Honda said they are going to have no idled plants like because of any chip supply shortage. So it's like things are really opening up. When we talk to some people, um, also like, you know, ask Brian Kramer, um, Toyota of Naples, like, hey, how's it looking? He goes, everything's looking really good. Yeah. Right? Like by March, we're going to be. The, the gates are open. We're going to have inventory again. We're going to yeah, have inventory. Rolling, rolling. And, and, but interestingly enough, same similar conversation with Alex Vetter. He said, everything's going to, you know, because of inventory coming back, everything's going to roll for 30 to 60 days. But then, but then there's going to be this like pulling of the rug out because supply will be back in a greater in greater excess than demand and those caught without having made the changes and the shifts necessary will be caught it's like it's like going to dinner with me when there's pizza and wings involved right <laughs> i keep ordering it that's it's almost a good segue moment because it's, it's actually happening if you do you'll notice one thing that as people eat i keep ordering pizza and pizza and wings come out and eventually the demand is satisfied and we have a lot of extra pizza we have to figure out what to do with because we can't bring it home because we're at an event in a hotel. <laughs> Things and, that actually happened this week. <laughs> yes. And so that is going to be a predictor of what is to come if we don't pay attention and watch ourselves. Thanks for spending some time with us here today. We're going to be back tomorrow morning. So uh, subscribe, share this email with your friends. And if you feel so inclined, leave your boys a review. Everywhere I go, the people really want to know who I is and who I